Good afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to live from your true self through all of life's twists and turns. And you'll be challenged to lean into the mysteries of life to find your own deepest wisdom. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Today we're going to be talking about a difficult subject. We're going to talk about dealing with difficult people. So most of us were taught that we're supposed to love all people, right? But what does that mean when it comes to those difficult people in our lives? Are we supposed to pretend that we love them when we really just wish they'd go away and leave us alone? How are we to deal with this? Well, there's lots of ways to deal with difficult people. Some of those are healthy ways of dealing and others not so much. Today we will not only discover some of the unhealthy ways of dealing, but we're going to talk about some practical and healthy ways of dealing with difficult people in your life and We're going to get to listen to an audio clip from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Conversation, so you don't want to miss any of this today. Stay right here. So, first, what is a difficult person? You know, a difficult person is a person who who might be considered to be toxic. Um, This is a person whose behaviors and attitudes and words create a poison in the air and you might absorb some of that poison and to be around them feels like it's poisonous for you. Um, That's a toxic person. It might be somebody who's abusive. It might be somebody who's hypercritical. It might be somebody who is confounding in that they give you double messages. Um, So a double message is you're driving down the highway and there's a sign that says, do not read this sign under penalty of law. So we know that the law tells us that we're supposed to read the street signs But we also know that this street sign is telling us not to read the street sign. So we're being damned if we do and damned if we don't. Um, And that's a double bind. And so some people put us in double binds. Some people play head games, mental games. Some people emotionally abuse. These are all descriptions of difficult people. And um, there's a lot being written right now about narcissistic personality disorder since our last uh, ex-president. We... We, we are seeing so much more understanding about that, and a lot of that comes out as toxic behavior to other, toward other people. That, that's not diagnostic for the person, but it is, it is um, some of the behaviors that the narcissistic personality disorder might have, attitudes and, and words and behaviors that they might have can be toxic for other people around them. So, um, so we'll talk, we're talking about those types of people, too. And the other thing we need to talk about is sort of what is the definition of love? Well, one of the worldwide definitions of love that's, uh, that is used uh, to sort of clarify what love is is what is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in the New Testament of the Christian Bible. Although uh, not every, it doesn't, um, it, it, it's not, that Bible is not used by every religion, but many people in other religions cite that verse as very, um, an understandable version of what love is. But I don't think that verse is telling us how we should love, because I believe that if we put the word should in front of the word love, it's not love anymore, it's obligation. So I'll say that again. If you put the word should in front of the word love, it ceases to be love and becomes obligation. And so we're no longer loving. We're just doing what we should do. So, uh, but love, one of the uh, descriptors of love is love rejoices in the truth. 
And I think that's fundamental in dealing with uh, in dealing with a difficult person. Um, we, we need to say the truth to ourselves about difficult people, and we need to tell the truth to the difficult people when it becomes necessary. It's not always necessary, but when it becomes necessary, we need to be able to say the truth to that person. Um, and that doesn't mean some long lecture and some, you know, you have to, you should, you know, you're bad. Yeah, none of that. I'm not talking about that. That's not the truth. That's somebody else's stuff. That's just judgment. But telling the truth means when you do X, here's how it feels for me. Um, I can't be around you because your behavior is X, Y, and Z. Uh, I have to leave this relationship because it's abusive to me. If it's safe to say that, there are times when sneaking out of a relationship is is the truth because it is the safest thing to do. Um, especially where physical abuse is, is, in, is in the pattern. But, the, you know, it's important to understand that one of the first things we do in dealing with a difficult person is we live from our identity. So what is an identity? An identity is, uh, a lot of people will call it the ego. I call it the identity because ego sounds like it's a structure of the brain and, and uh, it reminds me too much of Sigmund Freud and I don't agree with much that he said. So I use the word identity. And the identity is what we learn to put on as a false self. It is a mask and costume, if you will, that we put on to perform in a certain way because it enables us to fit into that family of origin in some kind of way. So in our families of origin, there's uh, there's certain agendas that are just kind of settled into the the bones of the of the interactions of those people everybody knows what these things are maybe nothing has ever been said about it but everybody knows the rules about this thing so people might ask well what's you know what's the basic rules of your family what's the agenda of your family well in this family we don't talk about our feelings well in this family everybody has to be quiet for dad because he's he needs to sleep uh or in because he drinks a lot in this family, the older sibling is the one who does all the caretaking because mom and dad are drunk on the couch at night. Um, in this family, we all keep secrets from each other. In this family, nobody is close to anybody. It's uh, divide and can conquer. So nobody feels close to anybody. Nobody can get support from anybody. These are the, these are the kinds of dynamics that happen, some, some of the dysfunctional the dynamics that happen in families where where one has to put on an identity to survive. So uh, in my family of origin, there was, there was no connection. We were not really connected to each other. We, we, we feel that connection now. We feel very close to each other now as adults. But, but as children, we, were, we just didn't feel connected to each other. And we all felt like we were alone in a bubble. And uh, so my identity that I picked up was superwoman. Um, I lived that for many years until I finally figured out what I was doing and stopped. Uh, so Superwoman says, I got this. I can handle it. I'm tough. I'm strong. I'm capable. I got this. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And I, I could do, I could paint. A, uh, the, I remember one time I painted my entire house by myself within three days. Um, you know, uh, I did phenomenal things just because I thought I could. And that's Superwoman. There's also Superhero or the Rescuer. 
There's the victim identity, not to be confused with an actual victim of violence or other, you know, uh, other perpetration. There's the scapegoat who, uh, or the good guy identity who uh, believes that he's worthless and so is always trying to sacrifice for other people to make up for his worthlessness. There's the black sheep who also believes he's worthless but acts out that worthlessness or acts out the bad guy identity there so that he can so he can prove that he is really actually alive at all. Uh, there's the golden child who does everything right and is always worshipped in the family and everybody bends over backwards to make sure the golden child gets everything he or she wants. There's the invisible child, the child that nobody notices, the child that can talk but nobody hears. There's the runaway who, who feels that he, has to, he or she has to uh, never speak about emotions and never uh, uh, feel uh, anybody's pain, not their own or anybody else's, and will move to Ethiopia or someplace else to get far away from the family of origin. Um, there, these are just to name a few of the possible identities that we might pick up, but they act like caricatures. And they always know how to treat other people. They treat them according to the rules of the identity. So if you're a difficult person and you're interacting with a, with a uh, scapegoat who believes it's her, his or her responsibility to always sacrifice for other people, then what are they going to do? They're going to sacrifice for you. You're a difficult person and the more difficult you become, the more they're going to sacrifice for you because that's what they know to do. They're going to do that again and again and again and again, and and so uh, that if if I'm a uh, black sheep, well, and you're a difficult person, well, I might be just as difficult as you, or I might try to trick you. I might have have display some kind of vengeance upon you. Um, if I'm the victim identity, I'll be victimized by what you do as a difficult person. So these are these are the ways that we. We, we respond first and foremost. We refi- respond to difficult people first and foremost out of our identities. And, of course, that's not going to be always good. What we want to be able to do, however, and a more healthy response to a difficult person is to be the authentic self with that difficult person and, uh, and, and to, to work with that person in ways that help us express ourselves and learn something from the difficult person. Um, I remember encountering some difficult people in my life who really, uh, it was because of them that I had to step up into my authentic self. I had to speak up more because of the pressure that was on me, because of those difficult encounters. I had to speak up more. I had to be more honest. I had to be more self-protective. I had to hire an attorney. I had to, you know, do all kinds of things that I wouldn't have had to do without that pressure. And so that pressure changed me, and I became more authentic in response to that pressure of, because of these difficult people in my life. And so, you know, when we do that, when we actually can step more into our authenticity, what happens is we grow as a result of our encounter with a difficult person. And whether we, that person leaves our lives after that or not, we have grown. And uh, we might even be able to say namaste to that person. Thank you very much for what you did. You helped me grow. Um, and so in, those, in that sense, then, a difficult person can be a soulmate. A soulmate is a person who asks you to grow. A soulmate is a person who asks you to step into your authenticity and become more of that. 
a soulmate is a person who you trust. Uh, no, you don't have to trust. Who becomes somebody you look back on and realize you did trust or will trust to have made you, have helped you become who you are. So, you know, those uh, one of the first things we're going to do with a difficult person is we're going to operate out of our identity. We're going to come at them in the same way we come at everybody else. We're going to do what we've always done. And maybe we'll try to do it even harder because it, you're more difficult. You're the difficult person, and I'm going to do. I'm going to be superwoman even harder now, because you're so difficult. That means I'm going to work faster and get it done, not just yesterday, but but the day before yesterday. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, be even tougher and stronger. I'm never going to reveal anything about myself that will be vulnerable, because you might use it against me. Um, and actually, that's a smart defense mechanism with a difficult person. So, uh, but I'm going to do all that I do as my identity harder because you're a difficult person and you're making it hard. So what I do when I'm stressed is I become my identity even more. And that's because the identity is a coping mechanism. It's a coping mechanism that says, this is how I'm supposed to operate. This is how I'm supposed to operate in the world. I learned this at home of the knee of my mother, my father, and this is how I know I'm supposed to be in the world. And so we do that and 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 do that until it stops working in some fashion or force. And we have to look at a new way of being. And that is a life-changing experience. And very often it doesn't happen until we reach midlife. And I'm talking midlife around 35, 40 years old when we start to begin to say, oh, this isn't working anymore. I've done this for a long time and it's just not working anymore. So... Uh, those, that's the first thing. So I want to keep that in mind as we go through the rest of these things. That's the first thing we do in response to, to a difficult person is we step into the identity that we've always done and we do it harder. Um, but another thing, there's other ways that we can um, respond to uh, a difficult person in a way that's unhealthy. Uh, one of those is substance use. If I am addicted to substances and I encounter a difficult person, I'm likely to drink or use more. So I'll use substance use as my way of coping. So I don't have to think about it. I don't have to confront anybody. I don't have to step up into anything. I just need to get high or drunk. And that's my answer to everything. So I can use substance use. Or if I'm not addicted and I have used substances in the past and noticed that it felt good, I might start using substances more in response to a, a uh, difficult person, in which case I might not be addicted, but I sure am headed in that direction. So substance use is one of the unhealthy ways that we cope with difficult people. So if you've got a difficult person in your life and you've noticed also that you've started drinking more or using more, ask yourself some questions about whether or not that might mean that you're using substances as a way of coping with a difficult person. Um, instead of perhaps um, using some more healthy methods. Rage is another way to deal with a, 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 a difficult person. We can get enraged with them. We can even get physically violent with them. Um, that's definitely an unhealthy way to handle it. And certainly there have been people who've lost their jobs because they got violent with a, with a difficult boss. Um, uh, vengeance is a way of, I'm going to get you back, uh, 
we hear of vindictive people working on, working in a job and they encounter a, a difficult person and they get very vindictive and sneaky about how they're going to get that person back. Well, now you've become a difficult person too. It hasn't changed anything. It hasn't meant anything. It hasn't changed the dynamic except that it's, it's worse now. So rage is one of the ways we can deal with that. So rage comes from two things. One, it usually means that we've been angry for a while and we've tried to pretend we're not. And we've stuffed it and stuffed it and stuffed it until finally it comes out into an explosion of rage. Or the other thing is that it can be that we've just been frustrated for a long time over a problem that doesn't ever seem to get solved. And we, um, we, we, we then blow up. We become enraged at that point. But those are very similar responses. Um, so rage is one of the ways that we deal with difficult people. And it's not effective. We could fall into isolation and despair. We could get depressed and just feel like we're worthless and uh, get, go to bed and not get up and refuse to go to work and sit around all day thinking life's a, a um, terrible thing and it, it's awful and I can't stand it. Uh, we could do that too. That's an option for how we can behave in response to a difficult person. But generally speaking, this happens to people who generally respond to other things in life this way too. So if I respond to life and life's challenges by falling into isolation and despair, that's, that's been one of my typical ways of responding anyway. And that could be a result of having a victim identity. Victim identity says life is uh, uh, always hard and it's never going to get better and it's always harder for me than anyone else and people just don't understand how hard it is for me. And it's City Hall, and, you know, you, all, you can't fight City Hall. You always lose. They're always out to get me. They're always hurting me. They're always, you know, that kind of thinking, that belief system is a victim identity. Not a person who's been actually victimized by crime or violence, but, but, but a person who actually identifies with the idea of victimness, that life is just, you know, everything is against me, and I'm, it's, it's just too hard for me. So that person might fall into despair and isolation very quickly as a result of encountering a difficult person. So that's definitely one of the ways we can do that as well. But we're going to talk about this some more right after the break. And right after the break, we're going to hear an audio clip from Oprah's next Super Soul Conversation. So stay tuned. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simron, author, publisher, and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness, and humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. Want to learn how to remember your future? Introducing a brand new listening experience. The Whole in One. Life stories of love, wisdom, and truth with your host and guide, Sheila E. Hirine from Ireland. 
Join Sheila on this amazing journey of discovery as she interviews a menagerie of specially selected guests to help you to change the narrative of your life. It only takes one day to change your life. Tune in to Whole and One with Sheila Ihirai every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific time on your Voice America Empowerment Channel and learn how to tell yourself that different story. Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at AndreaMatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about dealing with difficult people. But before we go any further, I'm excited to tell you about Oprah's Super Soul Conversation with renowned brain and trauma expert Bruce Perry, who's an MD and a PhD, where they discuss their new book, What Happened to You? Conversations on Trauma, Resilience, and Healing. It airs this Saturday, April 24th on Discovery+. Plus. The interview will also be available on Super Soul Podcast beginning Wednesday, April 28th. During the conversation, Dr. Perry explains how childhood trauma impacts our adult lives, health, and behavior, and also offers a path toward healing. So listen to this short audio clip that uh, is just a little bit of that interview. If you take nothing else away from this experience, this conversation, I think what you and I want people to know from this book is that no matter what happened to you, it's not too late. You do have a chance to rewrite the script. And you talk about something called post-traumatic wisdom, using all of these things, experiences, good and bad in your life, to allow you to have post-traumatic wisdom instead of stress about it. What does that mean? Well, basically that's referring to the experience where you've been able to kind of get through adversity and you're now at a safer place in your life and you can look back and reflect and take what you've learned and use that to see the world differently. You use your pain and transform it to power and help other people. I think of the most transformative people I've ever known, every single one of them had personal pain and traumatic experience that was a core element of who they became. And it didn't didn't crush them. They learned how to carry the burden in a way uh, it's not like it goes away. It's, I mean, you know, it's, you know, it's not like you're free of distress or depression or anxiety. It's just that it, it didn't destroy them. And it gives, those people tend to have tremendous empathy for others who are 
struggling. And they also tend to have wisdom. You know, they're wise about yeah. the ability to live with pain and not have so much fear from pain. You know, it's not like you're going back and undoing. You're moving forward. I mean, that's the thing. That's the nature of human, the human biological system. We always are moving forward. We're changing. We may think the same, look the same, but we're always changing right. forward. Beautiful. I'm really looking forward to this book. I'm excited about it coming out on April 20th, 27th from Flatiron Books. And also, starting next week, Oprah and Dr. Perry are conducting a virtual book tour with live conversations centered on the themes of their upcoming co-authored publication, which is again entitled, What Happened to You? Conversations on Trauma, Resilience, and Healing. Each of the five events will be in partnership with bookstores around the country and moderated by different hosts who will bring their own perspective to these in-depth conversations, including CBS This Morning host Gail King, actor and literally podcast host Rob Lowe, On Purpose podcast host and number one New York Times bestselling author Jay Shetty, author and Oprah Daly senior director of editorial and strategy Ariana Davis, and actor and armchair expert podcast host Dax Shepard, along with Kristen Bell, critically acclaimed actress and host of the upcoming podcast Shattered Glass. Each ticket includes a copy of What Happened to You. For more information, please visit whathappentoyoubook.com. That's whathappentoyoubook.com. So I'm real happy to get to announce that and, and excited about this upcoming book. There's so much that we need to understand about trauma and resilience and healing, and this book is going to offer us a lot of information about that. So, and to back to our topic of today, dealing with difficult people, what we've said thus far is that love is rejoicing in the truth and that we need to be able to tell the truth to the people, to ourselves and to people that are difficult in our lives when it is necessary to do that. But we were talking a, li- a little bit more about some of the other diff- not so great ways of dealing with um, difficult people. So we're going to talk a little bit about those for, uh, first and then we're going to talk about the things that do work. Falling into isolation and despair, we just said, that's one of the ways. If I tend to do that normally, then if I encounter a difficult person, I'm likely to do that anyway. And I don't want to use the word normally there. Let me change that. If I tend to do that regularly, then I want that uh, I tend to want to, that's my, my go-to response for life's difficulties. Then I'm probably going to do that in response to a difficult person as well. Overworking is another way. We can just get into gear and just overwork, overwork, overwork is a way of dealing with difficult people. But again, if that's what we do, it's probably because that's what we've done in the past with other difficulties in our lives. We just overwork. It's a coping mechanism. Workaholism is a coping mechanism, just like addiction of other form is a coping mechanism. We don't think of it that way. We think of it tendency to say, well, that person is just being dysfunctional or bad or less than or something like that. But really... These are all just ways of coping. They're dysfunctional ways of coping, but they are ways of coping. Undereating or overeating, these are ways that we deal with difficult people. If you tend to respond to life's difficulties with undereating, then you're likely to do that when you run into a difficult person. If you tend to respond by overeating, you're likely to do that when you come in, when you run into a difficult person. Controlling others or maybe even abusing others. If that's your way of dealing with life in, in general, then you're probably going to do that with a difficult person too, which means that you're probably a difficult person also. We don't want to look in the mirror much about being a difficult person, but if you're being abusive to other people, if you're trying to control other people, you're a difficult person. 
hate to tell you, but that's the truth. Uh, fixing other people. That's a method of controlling, believe it or not. We tend to think that we're, we're just being kind and we're just trying to fix other people because we care so much about them. But really, it's a method of trying to control other people, too. So we have to be real careful with this. But it is one of the things we tend to do. And if we tend to do that in general, we're probably going to tend to do that when we run into a difficult person. But here's some other options. We could learn to self-soothe. One of the one of the techniques that I think is really, really important for us to understand about life is that we have, are responsible for calming ourselves down. It is no one else's responsibility. It is our responsibility to calm ourselves down. And so if we, if we can learn to self-soothe, that's very important. I remember a time when my daughter was very little, still very young, and um, she wasn't even a year old. She was less than that. And I was, she was fell asleep on my shoulder, and I was carrying her around in the store with me, and she was had her thumb in her mouth and was passively sucking that thumb. And I later learned from a de- from her doctor that she was a passive su- thumb sucker, so she wasn't gonna ever damage her teeth with it or anything like that. But that's beside the point. She uh, she was sucking her thumb. What is that? What is thumb sucking? It is a method of self soothing that little children have when there's nothing else available to them. They can't put on music and listen to it. They can't talk to somebody about how they're feeling. They can't do any of those things. They can suck their thumb, and that's what they do. They find something on their own body, and they use it to calm themselves down. So you'll see a child crying and crying, and then they stick that thumb in their mouth, and they begin to sup sup, and then they begin to calm down a little bit. That's a child who's learning to self-soothe. And so I was in the store with this baby on my shoulder, and, of course, loving it, feeling very, very uh, motherly and maternal, walking around the store with my daughter in my arms. And um, this elderly woman just came up and snatched the, her hand out of her mouth. And she said, get that thumb out of that child's mouth. And I didn't say a word. I just walked away and put my daughter's thumb back in her mouth. And because I knew... Even at that young age, I knew that she was self-soothing and that to take her thumb out of her mouth might meant that she wasn't going to be able to deal with all the loud noises and crashes and interactions that were going on in the store. She needed to sleep, and thumb-sucking was helping her do that. So self-soothing starts really, really early. We, we know how to self-soothe from a very early age, but along the way, we forget because we learn to be identified with certain ways of coping. And those ways are not necessarily functional. We can learn some new ways. What are self-soothing? What self? What soothes you? What calms you down? Is it a bath? Is it a shower? Is it a dance? Is it music? Is it talking to a friend? Is it going for a walk? Is it physical exercise? What is it that calms you down? I encourage my clients to make a list of ten things that calm you down. So when one of them doesn't work, the other one does. So we need to learn to self-soothe. And when we've, once we've learned to self-soothe, then we can think more clearly about how we need to respond to the difficult person. So self-soothing is really important. Learning to speak up for ourselves. You know, that is not what we got taught, many of us, when we were young. A lot of us got, didn't get taught anything about conflict. We just didn't get taught about conflict at all. Uh, I, I used to teach my children to try to negotiate. Now, it's not to say that they always did that successfully or that they always got along. 
But we did, I, I was determined that I was going to talk to them about negotiating and negotiating and negotiating. And we did, I did do that. And they did learn a little bit, at least, about negotiation. And uh, so uh, that's important. At least there was something there about conflict. But, mo- but a lot of parents will teach their children to turn the other cheek. A lot of children, will, a lot of parents will teach their children to, um, to ignore other people and, and they'll just stop bothering you. A lot of parents will teach children to, uh, to fight back. You know, if somebody bothers you, fight back. But we barely ever teach our children how to be assertive about self-protection, about self, you know, taking good care of yourself. So when a child says something ugly to another child, if you say something ugly back, well, you know, that hasn't made any difference. But if you say, wow, that was really ugly what you said to me, or or, or, or we say ugly in the South, it might be mean in the North, um, that was really mean or ugly, and it really hurts my feelings. Please don't do that anymore. That's an assertive statement, speaking up for the self. If we learn to do that in adult life, we, the statements can be much more clear, even clearer than that. They can say, you know, when you did X, I felt Y. When you, when you uh, did that, I felt squeezed between two, uh, two uh, very difficult positions. You put me between two difficult positions, and I didn't know how to get out of that. Um, we can uh, stand up for self by being silent sometimes. Sometimes being silent is the best way to, to let a person fall on their own face. It's, a, um, it's, a, it's a, a method of just allowing that person to expose themselves to what they're doing to, to, to other people so that other people can see how, how difficult they actually are. So sometimes silence is the best way to do it. Um, but speak, learning to speak up for self, and by self I mean authentic self. Speak up for your authentic self. So that so that your real true nature is being brought out into that encounter. And your your authentic self is very strong and very wise and knows how to take care of you. And um, so when you speak up for that, you're speaking up for your own wisdom. Um, um, so we need to learn how to speak up for self, but we also need to learn how to draw healthy boundaries. So those are two, two important aspects of dealing with difficult people. Um, so what is a boundary? A boundary is first something you recognize within yourself. You, you begin to realize that you're really tired of putting up with certain behaviors, that your tolerance has, has gotten, you know, beaten up. Uh, you're, you, you might realize that this is toxic behavior. You might realize that, um, that uh, these things are no longer working for you, that being around it is very difficult for you. And so you begin to say, oh, I need a boundary. Now, a lot of people will say, I don't need a boundary, I need a wall. And sometimes we do. Sometimes we literally meet, need a wall. If it's somebody who's really physically abusive, we need to block them if we can from telephones and, and other social media accounts. We need to be able to make get ourselves to safety, get our children to safety if need be, and, uh, and make sure that they're not allowed to enter our lives at all anymore. That's a wall. And so sometimes we need that. Sometimes people build a wall that cuts everybody out. That's a method of dealing with life in general that says, I don't trust anybody, so I'm just going to shut everybody out. I'm not going to let anybody in, therefore I'll be safe. 
What they find out, however, is that they're not safe even there. So our safety is not dependent on shutting everybody out. Our safety is dependent on our making healthy choices about who we let in. And that means we can make we, we can create boundaries. And so a boundary says, this is as far as you can come. This is where I stop and you begin. This and, and I make a boundary for myself first. I stop myself from interfering in your life by creating a boundary for myself. I stop myself from being a fixer by saying, your life belongs to you. It doesn't belong to me. So therefore, I'm going to stop trying to fix you. I create a boundary for myself by saying, your stuff belongs to you. It doesn't belong to me. I don't need to carry it. I don't need to pretend that I, I have to carry you. You know, a lot of times we get empathy where there's a lot of talk out there right now about empathy. And I see a lot of stuff on social media sites about empathy. And a lot of the people that are talking about empathy are not really talking about empathy. They're talking about carrying around other people's stuff. That is not empathy. That is carrying around other people's stuff. Empathy can include boundaries. Empathy can understand that um, I stop here and you begin there. Therefore, your problems belong to you. They're your life challenges. They're not mine. I don't have to fix them. I don't have to make it all better. I don't have to carry all the worry and all the emotion about it for you. You have to do that. That's your work, not mine. My challenge is to figure out my life. And so creating that boundary for myself is going to be very important first. And then I can create a boundary that says, this is how far you can come and no further. So when a difficult person starts abusing or yelling or screaming or or, you know, you know, emotionally abusing by, by blaming you for stuff you didn't do or putting, holding you accountable for their stuff or those kinds of things, then you can just walk out of the room. Now, that doesn't mean that it's always safe to do that. I want to be sure that we understand safety has got to be considered here. So don't just take my word and say, well, I'll just walk out of the room even though it might not be safe. He or she might come after me and try to hurt me if I walk out of the room. And if that's the case, then, then you've got to figure out what is your safety, safest measure. So what I would do is wait, suggest is wait till the person is not in the room, find some safety measure, call the police, call a friend, get out of that situation entirely and get into a safe place. Um, so, uh, yeah, so creating healthy boundaries is going to be really, really important. Learning to find out where I stop and somebody else begins is going to be very important to dealing with difficult people um, because their stuff does not belong to you. It does not, their attitude is not your fault. Their belief about you is not your fault. Their, their need to control you or, uh, or be emotionally, verbally, or otherwise abusive to you is not your fault. That is their stuff and it belongs entirely to them. So recognizing that reality is going to be very, very important in dealing with difficult people. All right. Well, that's it for this segment. We'll be back in just a minute. Stay tuned for more right after this message. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Do you have executive function challenges? Actually, these are a lot more common than you would think. These challenges include time management issues, organization, planning, focusing, memory, and problem solving. If this sounds like you, 
you'll want to check out Focus on Success. With Fazia Acosti, you'll hear from professionals that offer advice based on their expertise and provide solutions to improve your life. Focus on Success can be heard Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on Voice America Empowerment. Now or never means so much more today. Following and continuing these life-changing years faces us with a variety of choices. Are you going to move forward or are you staying put? Is it time to heal? The answers can be found on Now or Never, The Choice is Yours, with host Karen Wright. Karen shares her stories along with those of her amazing guests who have found healing and enlightenment while moving along their life paths. Tune in every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Do you feel that you want more from your life but keep finding yourself in the same spot? It is time to break free from self-defeating patterns and limiting beliefs. Find out more by tuning in to Let's Talk About It with nationally recognized psychotherapist, Dr. Jamie Lacey. Learn to create healthy lifestyle choices so that you can be the best you. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about dealing with difficult people. Um, And what we've said thus far is that it is not our job to just love everyone from that perspective that we should always play nice. Um, It is, uh, but, but that love actually rejoices in the truth. So therefore... We need to be in truth in ourselves, and we need to be truthful to other people uh, as, it, as it is required, as it becomes necessary. It's not always necessary to tell everybody everything, but it might become necessary, and when it does, we need to be able to speak for the truth. Um, because here's the thing. If I allow you to continue to treat me badly, I'm enabling you to continue to treat me badly. Uh, what that means is that I'm, I'm saying to you, it's okay. You can keep treating me badly, and I'll keep sacrificing, or I'll keep trying to be a good guy, or I'll keep trying to serve you, or I'll keep being invisible, or I'll run away, or I'll, uh, you know, do whatever it is that I do, use substances, uh, fall into isolation, despair, overwork, undereat, overeat. Uh, I may do any of those things, but I'm going to keep doing those, and that what that does is say to the other person, oh, being, being a difficult person is not really my fault. And I don't really have to look at it. I don't really have to change it. I don't have to do anything different because it's not really my fault. I can just blame it on other people. They're not being, you know, smart enough or good enough or wise enough or, you know, whatever it is I need them to be enough. They're not being that. And it's all their fault, which is typically what difficult people do. They blame other people for their stuff. It's your fault I got mad. It's your fault I, I didn't get the job done. It's your fault that I am got a, in a bad mood. It's your fault. And that's what difficult people do. And so uh, 
We all do that every now and then, but the difficult person usually does that classically. They do it perpetually. Um, So we need to understand that when we are just allowing them to continue to do what they do, we're enabling them and perpetuating the problem. Uh, On the other hand, if we if we tell the truth, uh, then what we we can do is uh, deal in reality. One of the most uh, unhealthy things we can do about an un, a difficult person is we can fall into denial. We can say it's not really happening. It's not really real. It isn't. Okay, it's it's really okay. It's just me. It's I'm the problem. I need to be nicer. I need to be kinder. I need to be smarter. I need to be whatever. And so maybe then they won't treat me that way. Or maybe I need to have a better attitude and then they won't treat me that way. And that's just a way to set up further abuse. So if we say to ourselves, the truth is this hurts. It feels very toxic. It feels very, uh, I feel like I'm having to fit myself into a very small little place so that I won't rock anybody's boat. Uh, if, if I'm honest with myself about how this really feels, then I might be able to create healthy boundaries and speak up for myself and self-soothe and do the things we've been talking about doing. So denial is the worst thing we can do with, in dealing with a difficult person. We need to face the facts and deal in facts instead of getting into denial. We just saw that whole thing, drama, played out in the last presidency with, uh, with the president um, acting out in various ways that we heard about and his uh, enablers surrounding him and allowing him to continue to act out in those ways because they were scared. So that, that didn't help. It doesn't make anything better. It just makes things worse. And, of course, we see that it ended up on January the 6th with a, with a, um, a, a, a riot on the Capitol and uh, a dangerous one at that. So we don't want to do that. We don't want to uh, enable people. They just get worse when we do that. Uh, We can, however, learn to build a strong, healthy support group. We can seek out other people to listen to us and and hear our problem and give support. Um, We can uh, find a group of people that are very supportive about that. And, you know, they might suggest that we leave that job or leave that situation or leave that, um, uh, that person. And uh, that might be a really good um, thing to do. That might be the perfect thing to do. We might need to leave that job or that situation or that person. Um, and they might also give us just a person to be with who understands us. And we don't have to leave that person or that job or that situation, but we can find ways to deal with it, like speaking up for ourselves or creating healthy boundaries. So building a strong, healthy support group is another way to help deal with uh, difficult people. Seeking professional help when needed when it gets too big when it gets too uh difficult uh or just not just don't wait till it gets too difficult or too big go now seek professional help and get some insight into your own behaviors and some things that you can do to help yourself uh to cope with this better or to address it in a healthier way or to learn where your boundaries need to be or to get acquainted with what's going on inside of you so that you can figure out where your boundaries need to be. These are all things that you can get from professional help. A lot of people think that seeking professional help is something you do as a last resort. I do not recommend that because by that time, it's sometimes too late, particularly when it's about a relationship. When you're talking about the difficult person 
in your life is your spouse. Um, you go to uh, therapy when you know when there's been a lot of damage already done and a lot of um, really nasty things have already happened. By that time, it's too late. The relationship is really virtually over. The only thing that happened is nobody's moved out yet. Um, so uh, when we when we wait till the last minute to go to therapy, we're making a big mistake. Don't wait. Go now. Um, if it's a problem and you can get some help for it, great. You know, might not have to go to many sessions, but just go ahead and go. So I recommend seek professional help in your neighborhood from a local therapist who can really help you figure this whole thing out. You might be really glad you did. Um, learning to express one's emotions effectively. That is one of the most difficult things for us to learn to do because we didn't get taught that as children. Most of us didn't. Um, and... And so we, we need to learn to express our emotions effectively. So what does that mean? That means that we use I statements instead of you statements. So you statement says you did this wrong and you're bad and you need to stop it and you, 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 you. That's a you statement. An I statement says I feel, I think, I want, I need. Um, so that's an I statement. And we need to be able to speak in I statements and say what my problem is. I'm going to say what my problem is. When you do X, my problem is Y. You know, uh, I just am trying to tell you that this is what goes on inside me when you do this so that you'll understand what goes on inside me when you do that. That's an expression of intimacy. What it does is say, I, ne- I need to be able to let you know what's going on inside me. Now, there are people with whom it is unsafe to tell what's going on inside you. And you'll know that because when you've done it in the past, they reacted extremely negatively, even hostily, and maybe even physically abusively. So we, we, want, we want to be careful. If you're somebody who's being physically abused and telling, telling that person how you feel makes them abuse you again or they, they think it makes them abuse you again, don't do it. Get yourself to a safe place. Call the police. Call a friend. Get some help to get to a safe place and get there quickly. And stay there. And do not let that person back into your life again. So I want to, you know, make sure that we're including the the idea that sometimes the person is so difficult that they're not safe to be around. And then we need to be able to to do other things besides just um, create healthy boundaries or learn to express one's emotions effectively. So effective expression of emotion means I'm telling you how I feel. And that, and and you get to respond to that, and I get to watch how you respond and make my decision about what I'm going to do with this relationship, based on how you respond. So if I tell you that uh, that when you uh, do X, I feel Y. When you, when that happens, and you react really badly to that, and you blame me or emotionally abuse me or gaslight me, then I'm gonna be able to go, oh, okay, this is not a person with whom I can communicate my emotions effectively, and therefore, I'm going to, to find a way to get out of this relationship, okay? But if they can handle it effectively, then your relationship grows. So, so what you're doing when you communicate with your emotions is you're being able to say, this is how I feel, and I'm going to watch how you react to how I feel, and if you react well, then we've got the chance of making a good relationship. If you don't, then we need to either go into therapy or I need to get out of this relationship or both. Um, so 
that's a, another uh, important aspect of, of dealing with difficult people. Uh, learning to listen to your intuition and your discernment is extremely important. I can't emphasize enough how important it is for you to listen to your intuition and your discernment. So intuition is that inner knowing that just knows what it knows without any rational data, external data to base it on. Um, you just know. And I have worked with many, many people who were uh, ended up leaving an abusive spouse who told me in the beginning, I knew. I knew he was going to be abusive. I just didn't pay any attention to that. So we can talk ourselves right out of our intuitions. But I would say, if you know, act on what you know. Um, Maya Angelou used to say, if someone shows you who they are, believe them. And people are showing us who they are all the time. And we need to believe that. So our intuition can tell us who a person is. And they're also going to act on who they are. We're going to see it if we pay attention discernment means I'm watching what you do and I'm also paying attention to how I feel about what you do at the same time so that when you do X I feel Y and then I say wait a minute that's not a good feeling I have so I probably don't want to spend a whole lot of time with you we can we can often get uh, deal with difficult people up front in the very beginning of meeting them by paying attention to our intuition and discernment so we never get in a relationship with them because we paid attention to our intuition and our discernment. We knew how we felt and we acted on that as if it was important. We have been taught to ignore ourselves, not pay attention to what goes on inside of us and that is the last thing I'm going to encourage. I'm going to encourage you to pay very close attention to how you feel about what's going on around you and honor it because it is trying to protect you. So listen to your intuition and discernment. Listen to your emotions for the message. If you've got a great deal of fear about somebody, pay attention to that. That's your fear telling you that maybe this person is not somebody you need to be around. If you feel angry all the time around this person, that's your emotions telling you that this person is probably not good for you. This person is going to frustrate you for the rest of your life. If something bothers you in the early stages of a relationship, it's going to drive you crazy in the later stages stages of that relationship. So uh, pay attention to your emotions. What are you feeling when somebody does X, Y, and Z in your life? Well, how does that feel? And use those feelings as information to give you information about what you need to do with that relationship. Pay attention to your body, healthy levels of exercise and eating nutritionally. Those are good ways to just take care of yourself in general and also good ways to take care of yourself when you're dealing with a difficult person. We want to be able to take such good care of ourselves that we can hear ourselves talking to ourselves about that relationship. So uh, we need to understand that that's that uh, we have uh, we have a body, we have a mind, and we have a soul, and we have intuition, we have discernment. We have these things going on inside us, and they are meant to protect us. They're meant to help us. They're meant to Give us information about our lives and how, how the life is impacting us. So we want to be sure and pay attention to those things. And when we do, when we pay attention to those things, it pays off. We keep ourselves healthy. We keep ourselves out of unhealthy relationships. We keep ourselves out of toxic relationships. We pay attention to what's going on and we know uh, how, to, how to live with those things. Um, so... Uh, you know, paying attention to what's going on inside you is really, really important. 
So all of these things we talked about today are ways that you can deal with healthy, rela- I mean, excuse me, difficult relationships, difficult people in your life. And, um, and so I would encourage you to, there's also some articles out there online about dealing with difficult people. Read them. Do what you can to get inf- the most information you can get on dealing with difficult people. So that's our show for today. And we'll be back again next week. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week. 